0: Welcome to The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Join us every Saturday for a deep discussion about the biggest stories of the week. Go behind the scenes with journalists, political figures, and newsmakers to get a unique look at our city. And also, I want to hear from you, the listener. So please send any questions, critiques, or sponsorship inquiries to my email at hsanders at Thank you so much, and enjoy this episode of The Dive Podcast. Welcome back to The Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Tank Sanders. Today is December 11th, and we have a great show for you today. We have a very special show as well. It's number 50 for us, so we want to just take a second say thank you to everybody who's been a listener since the beginning, or if this is your first show, thank you so much for joining us and coming along for the ride. We really appreciate it. We are joined this week by reporter Rachel Monahan, who wrote this week's Willamette Week cover story assessing the job that Governor Kate Brown has been doing in her tenure as Oregon's governor. She has some of the lowest poll numbers in the nation for a governor, and so we're looking to assess the work that she's done and maybe apply some reasoning behind why she might have these low numbers. But before we bring you that story, we have a duty to bring you all the headlines, everything that happened this week. This is the 90-second Newsflash. Let's begin with our weekly update on the governor's race. Two Democrats who are expected to be very popular names as they run for governor are Tina Kotek and Nick Kristoff. Kotec has received endorsement from the Farm Workers Union, the Oregon League of Conservation Voters, and a slew of unions and other Democratic mainstay endorsements. However, trade union lobbyist Joe Esmond is all in for Kristoff. So those are the two headlines of who's throwing in for who uh, as this race starts to heat up. The Portland Teachers Union has put forth a controversial proposal that seeks to reduce teacher instruction hours. For high school students, they are asking to reduce overall class time by two hours a week, and they're looking to make one of the five school days a remote learning day. They are also looking to reduce classroom instruction for elementary and middle school students. This is in response to what the union calls a teacher shortage that they are experiencing. It'll be very interesting to see what comes of this proposal, and as you know, your favorite local podcast will keep you updated on all the details. Folks, you may remember a few episodes back, we told you about how Peter DeFazio, the congressman representing Oregon's 4th District, was set to retire. Well, he's officially retired now, and since then, people have been in hot competition to replace him. Democratic Senators Sarah Blone and James Manning may be entering the race, and Labor Commissioner Val Hoyle announced her candidacy almost immediately. The Portland Trailblazers have fired their longtime general manager, Neil Olshay, this week after an internal investigation looked into claims that he had created a toxic work environment. Now, the ball club isn't being super upfront about exactly why they fired Olshay, but I'm willing to go out on a limb and say I think they may have found something in that investigation. If you're looking for a dinner suggestion, new place to eat out this week, try Pizza Thief. And if you want a drink, try Gilder Cafe. Those are our suggestions of the week. For more suggestions, recommendations, news stories, top stories, investigations, all that and more can be found at wweek.com or on our blue boxes on print. Two ways to enjoy Willamette Week right there for you. And here's a third, the podcast. And that's all we've got for you for the news. This has been the 9 Second News Flash. We turn now to our main story of the week. Oregon Governor Kate Brown has among the lowest poll numbers for a governor in the country. Rachel Monaghan co-wrote this week's Willamette Week cover story, listing several reasons why that might be the case. We go into these reasons and assess Brown's record overall. Here is our interview with Rachel Monaghan. Thanks for listening. All right, Rachel, let's start with this. So the headline calls Kate Brown America's least popular governor. Why, Why do you say this?
1: Um, Well, this story um, came out of um, a poll that was done in November nationally of governors, and uh, she had the lowest approval rating of any governor in the state. So hard to argue with that.
0: So you say in the article, and here's a quote that I'm reading, Brown's bad poll numbers could threaten Democrats, the Democrats chances of maintaining the highest office in the state. So maintaining the governor's office. That seems to me like a little bit of a leap, because it seems to me that sure, it's obvious how governor's low poll numbers could, you know, harm somebody like Tina Kotek, who's running on a similar experience. But how about like an? But it would seem like it would help an outside Democrat like Nick Kristoff. So, do you think it's a little bit of a stretch to think that? Well, now it's just making the way for a Republican candidate, or do you think that's a real possibility that for the first time in forty years we could have a real Republican challenger?
1: Um, well, the easier part of your question to answer it or the, uh, to pick on the question slightly, I think there's a chance of an independent being in the governor's office. Um, that certainly changes the dynamics of the race. We have already seen Republicans run against Kate Brown. They did it in the legislative, legislative races. We already know that Republicans will run against Kate Brown as a figure. And the reason that they did that is because she was unpopular with our constituents.
0: Before we get into some things that could be bringing down her poll numbers, let's first just start off. What has Kate Brown done well?
1: This is a hard question for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, there, there's the answer. Okay. We'll move right uh, along. Well,
1: no, no, no. We can move on. Let me, let me try, try and articulate. What that seems like the answer. Well.
0: That seems like the answer. No, no,
1: no, no, no. No, that's completely unfair. I just, <laughs> I just mean like, you know, my job is to like often look at what is not going well. So anyway, right. um, I think that um, <clears throat> to a degree, like, I think that what people are going to remember from this time is the pandemic. Um, her last two years will be defining of who she is and Oregon has had fewer deaths than almost per capita than almost any state.
0: And what are the, I I did want to know what were the other states that are on Oregon's uh, playing field?
1: Uh, I'm forgetting, but Washington, Hawaii, Vermont, I believe I could be wrong on that one. Oh, you know what? Maybe I should look this up and answer your question. No, you're good. But Utah is there too.
0: Yeah, so while we're looking that up, let me ask this question. So a lot of your article was trying to go into a couple reasons why Kate Brown's poll numbers are the lowest in the country. And one of the reasons that you accredited to was her very forceful response to the pandemic, which maybe were great because Oregon is on par with Washington and other states as being among the lowest in the nation for death per capita. But I wanna I wanna throw this at you. You know, I think about when I went to high school at Lincoln High School. Lincoln High School has really great graduation numbers, kids go to great places, and our administration's popular. But I don't really credit a lot of our success to the administration. I think that, you know, the parents are affluent, so they can get kids tutor programs, and they push their kids to not only go to college, but to go to great colleges. And so I think that it's less because of really great principals or vice principals, and because a lot to do with the kids and the kids that go to the school. Similarly, if you were to ask me, Hank, you're going to be governor of one of 50 states, one of any of the states you choose during the pandemic, what state would you choose? I would choose Oregon because... We tend to be more liberal that means people are going to listen to mask orders a little bit better our city isn't as dense as like new york or any of the cities in california so it's like oregon and washington to me would just seem as obvious reasons you know obvious places where we would be able to handle the pandemic better how much of our decent pandemic response should be credited to our governor and our leadership from the governor versus our constituents just being a little bit better equipped to combat this than some other states?
1: I think even she would credit Oregonians. I had forgotten some of these details, it feels like, a very long time ago when the pandemic was starting. But I looked back at some of our clips on, you know, how shutdowns happened. And I was reminded that There was, and this is in the story, that um, often Democrats had to step forward and basically mount public pressure campaigns before the governor acted on shutdowns. I'm not sure she deserves all the credit, even of political leadership, for saving lives.
0: I want to talk about this as well. So sexism was one of the reasons why poll numbers are low. I'm aware that sexism is very rampant in politics and every field, but poll numbers are really just the constituents saying whether or not they like or dislike the leadership that's that's in power. And it seems like right now, Oregonians are incredibly unhappy with their leadership. I mean, the only reason why Mayor Wheeler has a job is because the recall effort was handled so poorly. And Dan Ryan is gonna have a serious competitor, and Joanne Hardesty is gonna have a serious competitor. And even nationwide, Joe Biden, his numbers are in the are in the toilet. Uh, you know, Gavin Newsom was had a recall effort. You know, de Blasio is the least popular person in the entire world ever. It always has seemed that way. So how much of her poll numbers, again, do you think sexism is playing a large role or do you think people are just so unhappy right now with the way that she's been, that, that Oregon is being led?
1: Well, I think it's complicated. Um, again, one number that wasn't in the story, but I think is revealing of uh, sexism is there's a pretty big gap in who disapproves of Kate Brown. Um, men disapprove of her. Much more than women, so um, <clears throat> that was interesting to me. Um, but you know, her allies give her credit for being collaborative. Um, you know, we've seen some of her public indecision on COVID, um, and I think that um, I'm fairly convinced that that kind of criticism of a man might not have stuck to the governor quite the same way, um, but because she's a woman woman and like women are viewed through the lens of maybe not um, being forceful enough at the same time as their judge just pretend, potentially being too forceful if they are forceful. Um, anyway, I think that her indecision maybe sticks to her a little more than it would if she were a dude. That's one, That uh, that's my kind of speculation on the concrete numbers that would point to the pooling that shows men really disapprove of her a lot more than women do.
0: Yeah, makes sense. So you go through a bunch of reasons. Oh, uh,
1: so like uh, my bottom line is yes, and there are other women on that list of governors. There are not very many, but she's also the bottom of the women.
0: So she, so of the women, she's, she's the bottom.
1: Right because she's at the bottom of
0: the list of governors in terms of approval. And there are eight others. That's how math. Yeah. That's that's good brain work. Um, So you go through a bunch of reasons why Brown has poll numbers that are low. Uh, We've talked about them a lot in this whole episode, basically. What were one or two reasons that came up when you're researching this article that or that might've played a role, maybe not big enough to include in the article, but what were a couple of reasons that got left out?
1: Hmm, I don't have a good answer for that, but I think one thing that was striking to me, and I think striking to people who've read the story is the like, even before the pandemic, what um, the crises that she had faced in the state, the Umpqua Community College shooting, multiple forest fires um the malheur refuge right. occupation like those were i mean maybe not a mass shooting which has become all too common but the others like those were really big deals on their own um, you know several years of of record fires um, that's a lot to begin with without even the pandemic so she's had to manage her way through crises
0: the cover image did you have to get uh, you know verification from Charlie Brown to be able to use that cover it seemed like that might be a little bit of a patent infringement there or a or a creative (laughs) creative (laughs) you'll have to ask
1: somebody else about that I'm afraid
0: (laughs) all right sounds good anything I didn't ask that I should have asked today
1: uh no but I do like the image people have in their head of uh, well, gender roles are reversed in this, but um Lucy holding a football for Charlie Brown and him missing as a one image or metaphor for um, trying to understand what's happened in the last six years. Um, and you know we didn't hit, we didn't use that metaphor in the story itself, but I did like the image for for that kind of little gag.
0: Was that purposeful? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You think of all these things. You think of all these things. All right. I appreciate all it. At appreciate
1: least it. I didn't come up with that idea, but I believe it was. So. Okay. Anyway. Fair
0: enough. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Talk to you later.
1: All right. Thank you. Hank. Bye. Always trying to keep my balance, but my surface gets warmer. What
0: used to be a bridge is now the width of a razor. The ones who care about me watch my face get their eyes get more concerned while mine get dimmer started out having fun just another way to play now i'm falling headfirst into unforgiving way well folks that's our show thank you so much for listening to this episode of the dive podcast take care stay safe keep reading for willamette week i'm hank sanders we'll see you next week Thank you for listening to this episode of The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. Includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Pangamebon, as well as the entire Willamette. Week family. Last but not least, thank you so much to Heather Witty and AmpMusic.co for the music that you hear on this podcast. For Willamette Week, I'm Hank Sanders. This has been the Dive Podcast.